Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. He's no stranger to this program. He's been my source for information on criminal justice for decades. He's a former Alberta prosecutor, Simon Fraser University assistant professor and former senior policy advisor to a federal minister for public safety, Scott Newark. And I want to say out of the gate, you say it. You're not in favor of people owning firearms. No, we've had this discussion uh, over the years. Uh, when I was the executive officer of the Canadian Police Association, we originally supported the long gun registry uh, precisely because of the value that it would uh, give for both uh, police officer safety but also public safety and having the awareness of where these uh, weapons were. And it's based, of course, on the fact of you know what a, a firearm actually is. By definition, the, uh, there is a public interest involved in how we deal with or don't deal with firearms. And so, you know, the um, seeing these kinds of uh, regular and the system has become very, very uh, technical in its regulation, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, and these latest uh, changes that are provide us some more details on the announcement after the Nova Scotia shootings. I must admit, the thing that strikes me the most about all of this is that the uh, it's done in the name of sort of promoting uh, community safety from gun violence. Um, and yet, as you correctly pointed out, its primary target appears to be in relation to um, lawful firearms owners who are having their weapons uh, classified now as prohibited weapons. Uh, but they were not, no one ever seriously suggested that they were the source of the growing gun crime in Canada. And I think that's the, the overarching thing about all of this, uh, Roy. This, uh, in Bill uh, C-21, that was introduced on Tuesday, and then a couple of days later, uh, C-22 introduced on uh, Thursday. What really strikes me with this when I, when I go through the whole thing is about how political uh, both of these bills actually are in the sense of the way that they're being marketed. And also, so can we, Scott, can so we start with the gun legislation? Done. Can we start with the gun legislation and then yeah. after the break go to the minimum sentences? And the reason I said off the top that you don't favor gun possession because I want people to understand where you're coming from. Former prosecutor, former executive director of the Canadian Police Association, president of the Victims of Crime Office in the province of Ontario. You have a lot invested, many years invested in this entire issue. So when the Liberals introduced C-21 and all of its uh, various tentacles, and we'll talk to the Alberta uh, Solicitor General later, Good. how do you see this particular legislation? Do you see it as an, a, a positive move forward, or is it, as you just said, a purely political move? It uh, strikes me as, uh, if I had to pick between the two, I would say it's a politically based move. And for a number of reasons, uh, you described in your introduction some of the uh, initiatives that were included, including what they called the red flag and yellow flag laws, where you can you know, uh, potentially take proactive uh, measures if somebody uh, presents a risk, like, for example, the um, uh, New Brunswick shooter Justin Bork did, the uh, Alexandra Bissonnette. Well, guess what? We've had tools in place in the criminal code for 40 years that allowed that. Anytime someone fills in an application for a PAL, right? Anybody, anybody who fills in an application has to provide, if you've, if you've had a breakdown in a relationship in the last two years, you have to let the person know yeah. you have the relationship with that you're going to get a gun. Yeah, but, but even so, it's a good idea to have this kind of a proactive measure. But that's I understand. I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying it's been around, as you say, for a long time. Yeah, and all that's going to happen here is that they're now saying that it doesn't have to be the police that are the ones that take the action. 
And that just, that just raises a bit of a caution with me because we, the last thing we want to see happen is have the police no longer use this authority that they have and instead just say, oh, well, you know, people can make their complaints themselves. That would not be a positive thing. Now, you have long had a great deal to say about and information on and experience with cross-border gun smuggling and the CBSA's engagement or lack of engagement, not because they don't want to, but because essentially they were kept on the sidelines, if I have this correctly. So would you address that, please? Yeah, and by the way, I don't think you have it correctly because the I think it has been a manifestation of the risk aversion in CBSA management over the years. But as an example, and it's the, the single most important thing, and, and this is an important issue because, as you say, um, and I think this is a deficiency as well, too, we don't have the exact knowledge about where crime guns are coming from, but most law enforcement agencies seem to believe that cross-border gun smuggling from the United States is a key part of that. Well, guess what? The Canada Border Services Agency is not allowed to do uh, mobile patrols between designated ports of entry. So it's really only the RCMP, the understaffed and underfunded RCMP, that are able to do it, and they can't do it. So if you're talking about making changes to legislation as the vehicle for improvements, why didn't the government amend the Canada Border Services Agency Act to expressly give designated CBSA officers that authority to do those mobile patrols and also to remove another obstacle that they're not allowed to do vehicular pursuit of uh, port runners, people who uh, drive through the ports and don't stop. And finally, maybe it'd be a good idea, you know, the Shiprider program, the cross-border Canada-U.S., cross-border a law enforcement program, guess what? It doesn't include the Canada Border Services Agency. You want to make some real progress on things? Let's do that. Put some funding into that. Change the legislation for that. And we'll actually be able, in an integrated and cross-border cooperative way, to try to stop or at least reduce illegal gun smuggling from the United States. That would be a public safety step forward. According to David Lametti, the federal Attorney General, too many lower risk and first time offenders, including a disproportionate number of indigenous and black people, are being locked away due to policies that are proven not to deter crime. This legislation, C-22, I'm reading from the news story here, is one of several measures the federal liberals have promised to address systemic racism in the justice system. The legislation would give judges more discretion in sentencing rather than the mandatory minimum sentences ushered in by Stephen Harper's previous conservative government as part of its tough-on-crime agenda. Scott Newark, former Alberta prosecutor, former executive director of the Canadian Police Association. Scott, what about C-22? Well, this is another one where the political motivation just uh, jumps out because, um, as I'll I'll get to in in a bit, um, I completely agree with using all the tools in the toolbox, and that means more than just simply, you know, sending people to jail. And as you and I have discussed over the years, I don't like mandatory minimum sentences generally because I believe uh, the genius of our justice system is its ability to deal with this offender, this offense, There are some exceptions with that, and there's no question that during the Harper government era, uh, for political motivation, in my view, uh, they increased the number of mandatory minimum sentences so that they would appear to be, quote, tough on crime. And as I uh, used the phrase once, uh, I was told, much to the annoyance of Mr. Harper, 
we don't need to be tough on crime. We need to be honest about crime so we can be smart about crime. So I think that the, you know, uh, uh, increasing the, uh, re- uh, uh, reducing the number of mandatory minimum sentences means that the judges have uh, more discretion as to how to proceed. I think same thing is true about uh, increasing the uh, the use of conditional sentences and they're tweaking the law so as to do that. Conditional sentences are themselves another example of politics in the in the justice system back in the Chrétien government era, they introduced what was called conditional sentences, which was quote a sentence of imprisonment to be served in the community. Uh, hello, we already had that. It was called probation, okay. Um, and also, they're going to encourage the use of diversion programs, which is, in other words, yes, the person may have committed a criminal offense, but our societal best interest is in rehabilitating them. They may have drug problems you know, uh, mental health problems, uh, emotional problems, whatever. The real value here is getting that person um, reintegrated into society or integrated in the first instance so that they aren't committing more crimes, which is in the public interest. And that's a very good idea that can be used, and it's a very cost-effective. It's also a force multiplier. You can use tools like electronic monitoring, of people so you can keep track of them and have public safety. Those are all, I think, very good ideas. But why it's tied up, you know, in this, oh, yes, these are uh, inherently uh, racist tools. Um, again, this just has the feel to me as being something that is uh, uh, being put out there and communicated through a political lens. And it doesn't need to be and it shouldn't be. How far have we come? You and I have talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, justice issues and we've been on the forefront, you with me, and, uh, and, and you've, you've really been a tremendous source of information on some of the most high-profile cases in Canada, some of the most concerning cases in Canada. Have we really made significant progress since the mid-1990s, Scott, or did we reach a point where we had made progress, where people generally were satisfied with what had been accomplished? More to go, of course, but had been satisfied with what had been accomplished in the justice system, and then somehow we hit a post where justice became political. Yeah, I'm afraid I agree with that uh, last assessment. Um, And um, I think we were making progress because people got to understand the just... And and look, let me be blunt. It's because of guys like you and journalists explaining the justice system, because if you want to get the right answers, you got to ask the right questions, okay? And people began to understand their justice system better and there were definitely some changes that were being made in it. We were uh, creating more of a focus on repeat offenders, uh, which is, you know, the, one of the realities of our justice system is that a disproportionately large number of crimes are committed by a disproportionately small number of offenders. And when you target those people, both by laws and policies, you get significant public safety as a result. Uh, but it's when I look at legislation, and it's not even just the legislation way, it's the way in which it's being communicated. Okay, we were talking about the C-21, the gun legislation, two of the features that are in there. They supposedly say, okay, well, these assault-style rifles, they're a threat to public safety. And now at the last second, it's, oh, but uh, by the way, we're going to let people keep them. We'll have a buyback program, but people can, can keep them nonetheless, which is why the gun control advocates are outraged about this. Or as you mentioned, you know, downloading the decision-making about handguns to municipalities. Yeah. That's not going to work. As you work. said, that it's is a municipal, a municipal authority. 
uh, is under provincial jurisdiction, so the provinces have the ability to say you can't make that kind of a bylaw. Ask the mayors of Canada, they'll tell you that. Of course they will. But, you know, it, it looks good and it sounds good, but it's downloading the responsibility onto somebody else. And that's what I think is the politicization of this. And I'll tell you something. The long-term impact of that kind of stuff, I think, is it's increasingly creating the what we've described as the say one thing, do another criminal justice system, which undermines public confidence in our justice system. You will never forget the day you and I were on the air with a member of uh, a public a public affairs person from Correctional Service Canada who said that uh, people who don't break the law are non-convicted offenders living in the society in society Correct. so yeah. in other words everybody was just waiting to be admitted into prison and when you or go to prison that the fact of what they did to get into prison was irrelevant and that's the thing that I think that I find so alarming about in C-22, the uh, uh, designation of it as being somehow targeted to affect an overrepresentation of Indigenous and uh, people of color in the justice system. The real question should be, you know, um, are these people committing crimes at a disproportionately high rate? And more importantly, why? Why is that the case? Is it a lack of education? Is it a lack of training? Lack of proper upbringing? And even more so, why is that? Those are political issues that need to be addressed, okay. not brushed aside by something. That's I have not 10 seconds here, not because you're saying anything controversial. I have 10 seconds because that's what the clock says. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.